Welcome to another episode of Empower Apps. I'm your host, Leo Dian. Today, I'm joined by Pedro Pinera. Pedro, thank you so much for coming on. It's my pleasure. Nice to, it's nice to be here. Yeah, I've been wanting to have you on to talk about the wonderful product you work on, Tuist. And we have some announcements at WWDC this year that we might want to talk about. So I think it's perfect timing. Before we begin, I'll let you go ahead and introduce yourself. Cool. Yeah, I'm Pedro. I'm based in Berlin, although I'm originally from the south of Spain. I consider myself a tooling developer. I like building scenes for developers, basically things for making them productive, to make sure that when I when they when they build with these tools, they they have fun using them. And for the past years, I've been working as a tooling developer at Shopify. I initially as a, as a mobile tooling developer, eventually I became more generalist type of tooling developer. And very recently I was let go from the company and I took that as an opportunity to go back to Swift to work on, on Twist full time and some idea, and some ideas for projects that I wanted to build. So I'll use this time to basically do Swift, build for Apple again and have fun doing it. Well, I know a lot of people who appreciate your work and appreciate to us a lot. Before I, I've known several companies that use Tuist that, that love it and have find it to be a perfect fit. For those who don't know, you want to explain what Tuist is exactly? Yeah, sure. So I started building Twist because if you work on a modular SCO project with many targets or a workspace with multiple projects, you probably know that it's a nightmare to maintain, especially when you start changing dependencies, adding and removing targets and so on. Some of the changes, for example, if you have some dynamic frameworks somewhere in the graph, they have some cascading effects. And usually what I found when I started building Twist is that there's usually a few people that really understand how to do that. And then the others that one day they change something and everything breaks. And I was like, there needs to be an easy way, easier way of doing this. Then the way I saw this was with a project generator. So basically you describe your project and we generate it for you. That was the original idea. Eventually when I had the project information on, because in the end, like users describe you their projects and you can generate the ESCO project that they can use for working, for editing, for compiling and for everything. I realized that it was also, it was a good foundation for like doing things like caching and optimization checks, something that we can focus, which is, you know, like if I plan to focus on one target of my project, I don't want the other elements to be included in my project. And because of that, ESCO also works faster, things like that. And when I built it, I, I was looking at what Swift Package Manager was doing, especially the Swift DSL, the interface. So I, the interface that you use in, in, in Twist is very similar to that. You have a Swift, Swift file where you describe your project, you run a command, you get your ESCO project and you work with it. And then medium to large size company really like Twist because especially for Git conflicts, for having a nice interface for describing your projects for caching as well, and also studios that are building white label type of apps find it very convenient because they can easily generate multiple projects easily with a tool. Yeah. So for my smaller indie projects, I use Xcode Gen by Giannis for anything that's not indie and a big company like Tuist is, is the tool. And it's, I feel like it fills in the blank where you have You've had this slow migration away from weird file types that Apple like, like storyboards and core data models. And it feels like they're slowly moving away from that over to Swift. And like 
you've already done that with Xcode projects, which is awesome. And mm-hmm. it's basically, yeah, you create the whole project and workspace in Swift and you don't have to check in the project in a workspace. You don't have to deal with merge conflicts, which yeah. that's, I've seen a big, a big problem with, with checking yeah. in Xcode projects and workspaces. On the, on Xcode Gen, when I was building this tool, I had to build this other library called Xcode Proj, which existed in Ruby for yeah. its building. It was basically for reading, parsing, and writing Xcode projects. Mm-hmm. That was, so I started working on that first. That's when I met Jonas. He was thinking also of building a generator. He focused on the generation part with YAML as an interface. I think he also supports like other schemas. So if all you need is getting rid of Git conflicts and, and have a generation tool for that, Xcode Gen is amazing. And I know a lot, a lot of companies are building their own tools on top of Xcode Gen as a generator. Okay. I decided yeah. to take like a different approach. So different and also like be more than just a project generator. So depending on your needs, for example, for small projects, Xcode Gen might be more suitable. I'm actually working now on a web, on a new website where we explain better what Twist is, which is, I think it's really challenging to explain what it is and why it might be useful for you. But yeah, we both collaborated a lot, Jonas and, and me on, on that is the approach library. And I owe a lot to, to him because of his input, feedback and contribution. So yeah. Yeah. So let's jump into DubDub. What have you looked at as far as DubDub yet? So I think the mergeable libraries is a very interesting one. Because this is something that we cannot solve with Twist. Like if you want to switch from dynamic to static, you can easily change it in your, in your Twist project definition. And then we make the necessary changes so that the project continues to compile. We do that at generation time. And it's nice to see Apple basically moving that to compilation time. So now they're able to switch from static to dynamic, depending on what type of build you're doing. I think that's very cool and very necessary for, for big companies that have modular code bases. The other thing that I liked, because I was before focusing again on Swift, I was doing Elixir and Elixir has macros, which allow very interesting things like building DSLs. I don't think the Swift macros are, will allow to do that maybe in the future. But one thing that I like is like it's able to include in, in the final binary elements that otherwise will be loaded at runtime. For example, in the context of Swift on the server, you will be able to take the JavaScript bundle if you end up serving a bundle and like include it in the final binary. That's one thing that I think is going to be super cool. In the case of Elixir, I don't know in the case of Apple if they will be able to do something like that, but what they do is because at compilation time, the assertions, when it comes to testing, they can analyze the abstract syntax tree. The error messages that you get when the test fail are much greater than just saying foo is not equal to bar. Is yeah, They right, analyze right, right. the entire object and they show you the entire. So I think Apple can use all this and they, they are using it with some features that I saw being presented, like compilation time information to mm-hmm. enhance the user experience. And I think that's going to be very exciting to see. So I'll probably ask that question next. So I'm going to go ahead and do that. So you mentioned static and dynamic libraries and how you could switch between the two. Is that kind of related to the whole mergeable libraries thing? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So there, you probably know that if you use a lot of dynamic libraries, it compiles faster, but at the cost of it, the app takes longer to, to start. And I, it's nice that they are able to basically at compilation time generate information that basically in development compilation is fast because it's what you want at the end. Like you don't want developers to be wasting their time. And in production, you're also able to launch the app fast because of this new improvement. I think that's very nice. Back when I was when I started building Twist when I was working at SoundCloud, and because we had many dynamic frameworks, 
it was it was taking a long time to start and that's not a great user experience so I think you should never compromise the user experience to have a better developer experience, which is what you get when you have faster compiler time. So I think that features basically it allows you to have a good balance there. Yeah. So like, how does that work that it automatically knows whether to do, whether to automatically do a dynamic library or a static library? I didn't look into it in, in, in a lot of detail, but there's a build setting that you can set. And then based on the build setting and based on the type of flavor of build that you're building, choose one or, or the other. And I think it generates some compound time information that is necessary for later on, like statically comp like compiling everything for, for release. So yeah, build settings and depending on the flavor, it changes flavor. Config is called, no? Yeah, config. Debugger release. It does one thing or another. What do I'm just trying to think like, should you always be using mergeable libraries now? Hmm. That's a good question. I think it really depends. Like choice, I guess. It it really depends on how your app is modularized. For some for some targets, it might be interesting to to give something as dynamic, so that there is only one copy of that thing in the in the app. Because if you have like multiple targets that are static and then you compile a transitive target statically, you will end up having a larger binary. So this is another thing that you need to keep in mind when like you shouldn't go crazy with, oh no, everything is mergeable. No, okay. you need to understand your project graph and like keep the, the binary size in mind as well when it comes to making these decisions. You mentioned modularity and I want to ask this question. I've kind of shifted to Swift packages for most of my projects, like what, mm -hmm. what's the benefit of like Swift packages versus frameworks versus separate projects versus like, how would you do it? And how, or how would you make that decision? That's a good question. I wish I knew what Apple is planning with a Swift package manager there, because I think it really feels like people are using package Swift for something that wasn't designed for. Of course, okay. it works. Like you can say, I have a target, this is an app, and I have multiple frameworks. Starting from the name, it doesn't really align with what people are using it for. But I think Apple will eventually evolve that manifest file, that package adjacent to be also your interface for declaring projects. So I think it's totally reasonable that you start using that like package Swift package manager for defining your projects. I think depending on your project, you might find some limitations, like you might want to do something that you can do with an SQL project that you cannot do with a Swift package manager. So if it's just a standard package graph or target graph, it's all fine. But maybe you need some kind of build setting or build phase that you cannot define in your Swift package manager. So yeah. to reach that point, you have to decide if you want to, I don't know, open an issue and like wait for Apple to implement the thing or like switch back to SQL projects. I think we'll eventually like everything that you can do in SQL projects, you can do it in a Swift package manager in the interface. And I think sure. Apple will Move towards that direction is hard to tell, but with all the community starting to use the tool for something else, it really tells Apple, you know, like this is something that you should consider. And I think when they do that, there will be a lot of overlap with what Twist is doing versus what Switch Package Manager is doing. And maybe it doesn't make sense to maintain Twist anymore at some point. It's kind of similar to what happened with CocoaPods. Like the community had a need for bringing dependencies right. to build this tool. And eventually Apple says, you know, like, now it's time for us to give an official tool to, to developers. And the nice thing about Apple doing things is that they can integrate all these different pieces into the S code UI. So if they, if they integrate the Swift Package Manager into S code, 
all of a sudden you have this beautiful UI on the side where you see the different packages, how they're being resolved. I do things in Twist that I cannot integrate into Escort. So all my API with into Escort is build faces, what you see, what you can modify as a, as a user. Yeah. So I'm kind of limited in that sense. Apple is not the own their whole tool and the build system. Yeah, when you said build settings, what specifically do you get out of an Xcode project as opposed to a Swift package? So the one thing that I don't think you can define with packages, I might be wrong, but for example, you want to customize schemes, you know, like I have this scheme that builds this yeah. thing and tests this other thing, this type of customization yeah, yeah, yeah. or something that you don't get. Exactly. I mean, there asked. is no schemes <laughs> in Swift Package oh, Manager. So yeah, there you go. Right. So I think they are slowly moving towards that direction. What else? Build faces. I don't think you need them. Then you have sources, resources. I think Swift Package Manager is enough for maybe 90% of the projects. If you're a big yeah. company with the very best pole setups, I don't think Swift Package Manager is going to be enough today, but maybe in one or two years, most likely yeah. it will be. Yeah. Like the way I do it now is I'll have Xcode gen file where I define a project with the targets being like mm-hmm. The specific Xcode stuff, UI tests, iOS app, watchOS app, things that like you definitely cannot do. And I'll have like one, one file in the project that yeah. like is just a skeleton of a app implementation and then everything else is in the Swift package manager. And that's, that's yeah. worked out so far. I've been impressed with Xcode 15 as far as handling that. Like mm-hmm. Swift UI previews are solid. Like it's, I'm really impressed with with Xcode 15 in that regard. So yeah, yeah I can definitely either. see like Apple moving towards package.swift or project.swift to do, to do that mm. at some point. It must have been a challenge for Apple to integrate because Swift Package Manager has its own build system outside of Xcode, which has another right. build system integration that the resolution happens when you open the Xcode project. So. That is some kind of a synchronous task. While that thing is being executed, you cannot compile, you cannot do anything. And the, the, the deeper the graph is, the more packages you have, the longer it takes. And if it fails, then you are left with this SQL project that you cannot compile and you have to retry. I remember, remember in the first versions, you could not retry. I guess they fixed that recently, but that, that is very annoying. And also if you're on a flight and then you clean and then that also cleans all the so package manager information and you are left with this project and not, no longer compiles. I'm more on the, on this camp or, you know, like when I open my project, I want it to be ready to start compiling it. And if something needs to happen before, I would like to run a command to do the whole resolution. That's more of a mm-hmm. preference type of thing. Maybe some people prefer the Apple way, but I... Have you tried running like Swift package re- resolve and then opening the Xcode project? Do they share... Do they share the, the cache or do they end up disagreeing on where the build folder should be for the cache? The last time that I tried, I think it was using its own custom directory, but maybe that has changed. I, I, I would expect some kind of S code build packages resolve. Like I've run this, that will be the port install type of thing. Right. And then there's one thing on the second part is when I clean, I would like to have the option to only clean my project artifacts and not the, the suit packages. So having multiple ways of, of cleaning the directory. Cleaning. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think we've all reset package cache at least once in yeah. life trying to troubleshoot. So yeah, I totally get it. I've, I do think it's helped that they added the universal cache, which helps a lot, making that go a lot faster. 
They, but the weird, the weird stuff with like branches and how it'll cache a branch and you'll have to like delete the branch, <laughs> the cache, the cache branch if you don't use a tag. And I've had that issue before where I've had to like actually clean the universal cache, which you should never do because then it has to download everything again. But yeah, I totally, I think a lot of people agree that that's, that's a big issue is the whole package resolution thing. So Absolutely. yeah. What was I going to ask next? Oh yeah, did you catch any of the stuff regarding C++ now being... Not yet. Okay. I won't touch that. But that's been a long time coming, so that's great. We talked about the future. We talked about merge libraries. Let's talk... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hop back. I'm going to talk about something that they mentioned. See if I mean, I don't know if you, you saw the video on the open API generator. Did you happen to see that one? Yeah. What's your thoughts on it and where might Tuist fit into that? I, I think like being able to generate code at com, compile time is amazing, especially when you have something like open API. Same goes for GraphQL. Like there's, there are a bunch of queries on the schema and then I would like the Swift code to be generated. So. Having a way to do that, it's kind of nice. I learned about how is it called like Swift Package Manager plugins. I didn't know that thing existed. And I think it's very cool like that you are able to provide a plugin that does this compilation time. See, the one thing that I, maybe I misunderstood, but I saw that when they added this open API kind of manifest file, they compiled once to get the types. And then with the types, they were able to use the types. I, I wish there was some kind of integration such that you modify the JSON of the YAML. It was a YAML. And then the language server protocol is able to to obtain the types and give me auto-completion and everything without me having to compile the project because that is an extra step that I need to take and I don't want to be taking that step. I would like to for my editor to automatically recognize that I changed that and I generate the type. So instead of just doing it at compilation time, also do it at, while editing without me having to compile the project. Yeah. I could see how that'd be a, a challenge, but yeah. Did you? So we had talked about Giannis. Did you say that Giannis is killing his Swift, his swag gen project that was generating Swift code? Ah, yeah, yeah, with from, yeah, 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 yeah. From Open API, that's true. Yeah, I think. Yeah, which is unfortunate because before DubDub, I've been working on a project to use swag gen to develop to generate Swift libraries from YAML files, Open API. So I don't. I don't know if that killed that project, but it probably did. I think it's an interesting paradigm that you can, like, you generate everything from the YAML file, like the server, as well as the client. So it'll be interesting to see the future of that and where that goes. Yeah, I think, like, my opinion is that even a person can be spending time on things that computers can do. And I think... Giving you Swift code from, from a definition of an API is something that we shouldn't have to be doing ourselves. But the same goes for Swift data, I think it's called, where you yeah. declare your data needs. And then at combination time, all the details about what does it mean in terms of tables and database and stuff like that is all inferred for me. So that is, because in the end, I want to focus on two things when I'm building an app. I want to focus on the data that I need for my app. I want to focus on the UI. And the, the the business logic, like some apps are just presentations, but the ones that have business logic, that should be my focus. Everything, things like, oh, like, how do I map this data to a table? And then what is the core data stack that I need to set up and all the lines of code 
Like, what if you do that for me at compilation time? And I just focus on, on, on building my thing. So I think seeing Apple leverage in this compile time features like open, a, open API generators or sweep data, compile time generation of things. That is, that is very cool. That's, I think going to be amazing for developers productivity. So I, I guess you are a fan of Swift data as opposed to being a SQLite engineer, I would assume. Is that correct? That's correct. I've been doing a lot of server-side things with Ruby on Rails and Elixir. And their case, in their case, I mean, you still need to define the tables, but they all give you this or that you can interact with. And I really like when the APIs feel very ergonomic, like users.all.something. And like I touch the database as little as possible, only when I have to defend the schema and the migration. And that's it. Like from that moment on, give me an interface that is very... Ergonomic users dot all dot something boom I have my data and then I I use it and core data really I used it like a year ago and and it's still very verbose still like oh you you need to set up the stack or you need to know about this persistent coordinator and data the model and the context stuff, yeah, and all of that exactly. like just allow me to persist data and, and that's it so I think it's nice to see Apple kind of abstracting that away and I think it's important that they I'm sure they thought about this but provide the skip patches so that if you need to go one level deep, you can do it easily and see if data doesn't get in your way. Like, it's nice for 90% of the use cases. For the remaining 10%, you can always go into deeper layers and interact with the database directly. Yeah, yep. So one one place where I really like the ORM is Site Swift, specifically Vapor and Fluid, especially now that we have, like, property wrappers. I can't even imagine what they're going to do with macros. And how much they're going to make it even easier with that? Have you have you done any server side Swift? No, but we are starting to do some in Twist. We build this. Uh, yeah, you want to explain that? Yeah, we we build this server side extension of Twist because there are some features that require a server. One of them is remote caching. So we implemented what we call Twist Cloud, but we decided to implement it in in Ruby on Rails because of it. Not that many contributors contributed to it because they, they come to the project with Swift background. So they want to do Swift. And we thought it would be a better idea to re-implement that in, in, in Swift. We're going to use Vapor. We're going to deploy it to, to fly.io. That's very convenient for deployment. And um, yeah, I think it's going to be amazing. I'm very excited about this because, because I've been doing a lot of web development in the recent years. I can bring a lot of ideas and expertise into into Twist Cloud as a project, but also like to Vapor, to the framework. Like if I see some ideas for things that I could implement, I'm going to contribute to to those projects with packages, for example. One thing that, that I noticed is that many web frameworks outside of the Swift ecosystem have tools for, they call it like build pipelines for processing JavaScript and like giving you a bundle at the end or like processing a, a, a yeah. like the SaaS type of CSS and like giving you standard CSS as an output. And when I was looking at Vapor Docs, there isn't anything like that or Tailwind. Like, what if I want to do Tailwind in my project? Like, how do I set up Tailwind in, in this in this project? There isn't really a way of doing it. Like, you can do it. You can. Let's, let's chat about that after the call because yeah, I have I have things. So yeah. so things like that, you know, like what are the things that are missing? Or I was trying to do. I was defining the database schema, and then I was like, there was a command for migrating the database, and I was like. I need a command for dropping the database, for creating the database. And like someone listening to me would say, well, you can just go directly to Postgres or MySQL, MySQL or, and run the command yourself. But I'm like, I'm a person that really wants to have a nice CLI that gives you everything that I need. 
For example, Ethereum Phoenix have this framework called Ecto for interacting with databases. And you can do DB, I think it's DB setup or something like that, or Ecto setup. And then that configures the database, drop and it deletes the database. And yeah. I can do, so I would like to see this thing start be from the, um, sort of the vapor, like, like give me everything that I need or print the schema of my database here in my terminal. I want to say, so I think vapor is very cool. Like all the foundation and everything, the APIs, uh, the people put a lot of effort into, into making that amazing. The CLI, I would like to contribute. So I'm, I'm going to check like how to contribute to the project and all the ideas that we have while we work on, on twist cloud, then we'll contribute them to, to vapor directly or like build packages that the community can use. One thing you mentioned was playing around with distributed actor models. How does that fit in with Tuas Cloud? I don't think I don't think it's gonna be necessary for our Twis Cloud necessarily. This is something that Elixir has. That's another thing that makes it very powerful. And it makes it super easy to scale your system to say I have this other server running Swift or running Elixir and then I can interact with that server without really Knowing that I'm calling another server, I, I just call that a Swift interface. I think Apple took the inspiration from, from Elixir, from their actor model, and they are bringing that to Swift. I think on the, on the context of the server, not for Twist Cloud, I don't think we're going to need it for Twist Cloud because we can initially scale the whole thing vertically with more CPUs and more, and more memory if needed. But if someone is to build a system that's, that has, I don't know, another server doing some kind of background processing, it's nice that you can just do await something, await a function. And that function will run in the other server and give you a response. So I think Apple abstracting that away with their actor model, I think is very cool. I guess uh, sync await was the first step. And I think the next natural step is if I'm awaiting for something, I don't really care if that thing is lives in this server or lives somewhere else. So if you're building a system that has multiple servers doing different things, like this one for processing images or this one for, for example, maybe for Twist Cloud. I was thinking that we can have some kind of signing functionality, like you give me the binary, you and I provide you an interface to orchestrate releases to the App Store. If I need to sign as part of that, I can have a server dedicated to signing. I go to the App Store Connect, I get the provisioning profile certificate, I sign, and then when everything is signed, then I upload it. And from my server, I can talk to that other server, just calling Swift API. That's very nice. Let's talk a little bit more about Twist cloud how has that gone i guess when did you start it and then how has the development usage of it been like what's been the biggest challenges maintaining it so we started building it when we built cache and we thought well if we're able to cache this locally we can push the same binaries to a server and that way sure has across multiple environments across developers in your team between local and ci or whatever environment then we started building it, also open source in the same repository. There was mainly one person in the team building it, and some companies started using it. They basically started self-hosting the project. So there were two options. They self-hosted it themselves, or they use our hosted version, but they give us the, their Google Cloud Storage or S3 accounts. We store the artifacts in their yeah. servers. That was the foundation. That was the first feature. But because we had a server, we started thinking about, you know, like, wouldn't it be cool if we have this feature and this other feature and that other feature, which are also useful at, at a scale? So we started to envision cloud not just as a cache server, but as a kind of like your companion thing, thing that will give you the, the things that the SCO don't give you, we are going to give them to you. What things like, things that annoy me, like when I was an iOS developer, for example, and I'll give you some examples. One is 
someone changes a build setting in your project, everything is printed on CI, you merge the PRs, and two weeks from now, you realize that the build times are twice lower than two weeks before. And you're like, how did that happen? Well, <laughs> we have to go back in each time until we find the build setting that was responsible for that. Imagine if in that PR, we... So we build your project, we get kind of like a report, we compare that with a baseline, and if we see anything weirder, we post a comment on the PR saying, oh, this is the build insights, and this is what we detected. Kind of what people do with linting, and they report everything on the PR, but that with build times. And for that, we need to store the information from the baseline, from the branches, we need to do the thing. we need to be integrated with GitHub to be able to, to post the report on the PR. So that's one idea that I had. The other one is, I think this, this would be super cool to have. Like, let's say you're building something in your environment and you're like, damn, like this thing that I implemented is so, so cool. I want to show this thing to someone else. Traditionally, you, well, people do two things. Either they push everything to a remote and then someone checks out the branch and then compile. Takes time. Or you push something to some kind of remote branch where you have a pipeline set up and then it will go through test flight or somewhere else and then someone will install the app. That also takes time. But you have the binary locally in your simulator. It's right there in your laptop. Why don't you share that with someone else? So please share, share. We get the binary. We upload it. We give you a URL. You share that with someone and the other person says, twist, run, paste the URL and it opens in the simulator. That's awesome. As easy as that. That's so cool. You need a server for all these things. And imagine like you have this URL right. and, and in between. anyone in the organization has twist installed and they are able to do twist run and paste. Imagine what that means for collaboration, not only developers, designers as well. Brew install twist, twist run, whatever. And they're able to share, to run builds that developers share with them. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, anything else as far as twist cloud where seems like there's a lot of, there's a big future for Tuas Cloud and a lot of things you want to do with it. Yeah, so we are, so a few things, we are going to redesign the website to better convey what the tool is for, why is it useful. Second thing is better docs. We need some tutorial there as well and tools to help people migrate. And the third piece is, is Twist Cloud. And we're going to implement this plethora of, of tools that organizations can use. My dream, so I, I think that, when I think about the future of Twist and the ecosystem, I think, I hope, like, all these things that we explored and that we can explore because we're a small project and we are not, we can take risks, we can make these decisions of what if we try this share feature that eventually they make their way into, into Apple's tooling. So eventually, like, Twist will, won't be necessary, but I think someone needs to basically go ahead with, why don't we try this? Is it useful? So yeah, that's what I want to see. Like, all these ideas and all these things that Apple doesn't help organizations with that we do and then eventually all of them land on on the school yeah yeah that's awesome peter was there anything else you wanted to mention as far as the future of tuis before we close out no 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 that was all like if anyone has like right now when you go to the website it's kind of confusing so if anyone has questions about the tool or wants to jump on a call to talk to me about their projects or whatever like i'm all here so they can just send me a DM on Twitter and I will be happy to, to help. Awesome. And we'll provide links to that as well. Pedro, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. It was my pleasure. Where can people find you online? They can find me on Twitter my, or uh, yeah, Twitter, basically. My handle is, well, we'll, we'll 
put a link on the on the description by Twitter mainly. I use it actively. Yeah. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, we'll have links to all of your social media accounts, links to Twist, of course. And yeah, it was fantastic. So happy to have you on today. Thank you again. You're welcome. People can find me on Twitter at LeoGDion. My company is Bright Digit. Take some time to like and subscribe if you're watching this on YouTube. And if you're listening to this on a podcast player, please post a positive review. If there's any topic you want me to talk about, especially with regard to WWDC this year, let me know. I'd love to appreciate it to get any feedback from you. Thank you again, and I look forward to talking to you later. Bye, everyone.